Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Right, we are back on Terra Firma in South Africa. Uh, the second edition, or the new season rather, of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. No more Dakar rallies, that's all done and dusted until the next year, um, as we head back to Saudi Arabia. So, uh, with uh, a big day coming up, the 8th of March, it is International Women's Day. This year's theme, hashtag each equal. It's about helping forge a gender-neutral world celebrating women's achievements, raising awareness against bias and taking action for equality. It's about celebrating women and only women. And uh, what better way to celebrate than uh, by having one of the women who's uh, worked very closely with me over the years. In fact, she was the first woman um, who welcomed me to the broadcasting industry when I moved to Johannesburg many, many years ago. And she's an absolute superstar a star in the field. Um, and she is uh, nationally, internationally renowned as one of uh, the leading broadcasters. And I'm not just going to say when it comes to women, I'm going to say for everyone, because she really, really is. I'm talking about who else but Cindy Palutas. Cindy, it's an honor to have you here. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Jeez, that's, that's quite an amazing uh, and flattering intro, so I'll take it. Um, I'm not sure about internationally, but yeah, I'll take it. No, internationally, we'll go for it. And speaking of internationally, you... Uh, just got back from one of the most beautiful cities in the world, Berlin. And why? Yes, so I was in Berlin. This is my second time uh, going to cover the Laureus Sports Awards, which, as we know, is the Oscars of sport. And there's this great build-up. And last year, I went to Monaco, which was just as beautiful. And it's just the most bizarre and insane feeling to be, like, two meters away from somebody like Boris Becker and, and, not, and not fan out and you have to be all professional and ask professional questions and you're just like at the end you can I get your autograph but you don't obviously because it's Boris Becker <laughs> but yeah so I was there covering the Laureus Awards which the highlight is obviously the red carpets to see the likes of Sachin Tendulkar um, last year I got to see Novak Djokovic who I absolutely love and adore and it was just yeah, it's just a great phenomenal evening and it's very quick you're in and you're out and it's five days and you're done and push out all this content and then you head home and you go, did that all just happen? You know? Uh, yeah, I've been amazed following it over the years because it certainly has grown uh, in prestige, um, particularly over the last five years uh, when they've got the, the Laureus members and they keep on bringing new faces uh, into the game. Uh, Brian Abana, the most recent one that I saw. Um, and it, it really has developed almost a cult-like following, which is great to see because it really is the Oscars of sport. Um, and, and I always wonder, I mean, I've, I've traveled quite a bit. I've covered a lot of sporting events, but I'm amazed from what I see from, say, your Instagram, or your Twitter when traveling um, for the Laureus Sports Awards is the amount of content. And, and is, do you ever get a chance to kind of sit back and take it in? Or is it just rush, rush, rush? Okay, over there, we've got Sean Fitzpatrick talking. Over there, we've got Brian Abana talking. Or, or are you able to appreciate it? So you do get a chance to appreciate it. It's kind of uh, the media happens over three days. So you get the ambassadors, which is your Sean Fitzpatrick, your Hugo Porters, um, your Boris Beckers. You do get to sit down with them, not necessarily one-on-one -on -one, because everybody wants to speak to Boris Becker, um, but you do get one-on-ones like the Sean Patricks and, and those kind of guys, the Missy Franklins, all the ambassadors, um, maybe two days before the actual event. And this year was so extra special because the Springboks were there. It was the 20th anniversary, and of course the Springboks were up for Team of the Year. So South African media got um, kind of one-on-one -on -one time with them where the other media didn't, which was fabulous. Um, and regardless of how long you've been in the industry and regardless of how many people you've met, 
um, you still get a little bit starstruck by the Springboks. I don't know what it is about them. They're just so nice and they're so humble. So you do get a chance to take it all in. It is well spaced out. But as you say, there's so much content, and especially on that red carpet where they're bringing everybody past. I managed to do an interview with Ian Rush, managed to grab uh, Elliot Kipchoge, and you just, you, you kind of go, because I had a multimedia person with me this year, and she, and she said to me, Abby, she goes, um, so what exactly, what exactly am I cutting here? How am I going to fit this all in, you know, because there's just so much. And it's, if you're a sports fanatic or if you're just a fan of sports everybody is there from literally every sport I mean Tony Hawk's there from skateboarding it's just it's it's they've covered all the bases I think from a South African point of view there's no question that this is the one you would have wanted to be in given the fact that the Springboks were there and we all know that uh, there are highly regarded and well known in South Africa and New Zealand and Australia the rugby playing nations Um, but this time around from an outsider's point of view it looked as if the world knew about the Springboks um, from that iconic image of Sio Colisi lifting aloft a the Web Ellis Cup. Um, and then the, the, the media side of things over the last couple of months, they've just gone into another stratosphere. Was that prevalent uh, over in Berlin? I mean, did people, were they fully aware of who the Springboks were, what they represented, who Sio Colisi was? Okay, so I'll, I'll share maybe two or three really great stories with you from there. Um, number one being that this is a question that did come up with them. Are you recognized globally now? And uh, Faf de Klerk joked and said, yeah, Sia is, but maybe the rest of us not so much. Uh, we can still walk down the street. Um, Sia Khaleesi was walking down the street with Rachel, his wife. And somebody stopped him for an autograph. And he was like, okay, cool. And they thought he was Maps, Mapanyanis. And everybody, <laughs> he tells that story. And Rachel said the person was so convinced. And their seer thought that he was giving an autograph for himself. And they were like, no, we thought you were Maps. No, not Maps. And the night, I think it's the it's all kind of a blur. But I think it's the Sunday night before the actual event. They organize a media dinner where you go along and you have some drinks and dinner and stuff. Just to thank the media for traveling so far. And... Um, um, this year they had Sia Khaleesi and Faf de Klerk in a little, quick little 10-minute interview. The guy doing the interview uh, says, so with me, you know, got the captain of, you know, the Springboks and whatever, whatever. And then he says, Sisi Khaleesi. And the whole room goes, huh? Like, who? <laughs> and the next day when we saw Sia Khaleesi, we were like, hey, Sisi. And he turns around and he says to us, you know, and he said it so confidently as well. But he, of course, corrected him. But on a global stage, yeah, people definitely know who Sia Khaleesi absolutely is because he really is just the symbol of how far you can come in life. And I know we might be tired of hearing it, how he keeps saying, you know, this is for the country, this is for South Africa, this is for the world, this is for an example for people that have come from nothing that you can achieve your dreams. But it really, truly is that story. Oh, man, it's, it's amazing to see. And I, I can imagine it must have been even more amazing to, to see that. Did, did they look like guaranteed winners uh, when the announcement was made? I know a lot of people were, were rooting for Liverpool uh, to lift aloft that title, but uh, in the end, the box getting it the second time that they've won it after the 2017 did. And, and what was it like from the media and fans' perspective, sitting there when it was announced that it was uh, Sia and his men? So um, everybody kind of, everyone you spoke to, because we were obviously pushing for that South African angle the whole time. So when you sit down with Sean Fitzpatrick and you say, well, wouldn't it be nice if they won? You know, everybody kind of alluded to the fact that they were going to win because 
like Sean Fitzpatrick said, he was there in 95 when Francois Pinard lifted the World Cup and he felt that this World Cup was even bigger than that one. Um, he says what Sir Khaleesi has done to be the first black test captain of South Africa and win a Rugby World Cup is just a phenomenal, unbelievable story. Um, from media and fans, unfortunately, and this is, this is, I'll tell you, but I don't know how many people are going to hear this. Um, should I be admitting it? <laughs> but when the announcement was made, because what happens is we don't actually sit in the main room where the awards are done. You, sit, you go back to the media center and you watch the awards on big screens and they bring the winners in, um, not all the winners, but sporadic winners every now and then. And there was the, the lady that won for disability and her press conference was on. Now, I was sitting right in the front to make sure I had a front row seat when the Springboks came in later. And I was sitting right in the front and they were still streaming the awards live because the awards are still on the go while this lady's having a press conference and I see they're like about to name team of the year and I'm like, oh no, I have to get up and go watch this. And as I stand up to turn, I see all the cameras are still filming her. So I can't get up and walk out because now I'm in the front row. So I missed his speech. I could see it, but I couldn't hear it. And then I just, I messaged back home to our sport team and I said, somebody send me the audio from that speech. So, but in general, everybody kind of had that feeling that they were going to win. Also, I mean, if you're in the industry, you kind of know a telltale sign was there was nobody from Liverpool there. There were no current players. There was no one in the team. Even though Jurgen Klopp drives a very, you know, strict ship, you know, the guys, he'll play the junior team and he like says his team has been too stretched. So he probably wouldn't have sent his teammates anyway. But there were six Springboks there and there wasn't really a Liverpool presence. You kind of had the feeling that the box were going to win, which made it just so extra special because they really did deserve it. They really did pull off an amazing thing. And obviously you eventually got to hear the speech, uh, not necessarily live. And what a speech it was. So unfortunately, um, yeah, it was absolutely, it it was stunning. But even better afterwards. Afterwards, they brought uh, Sia and Faf de Klerk, Skulk Brits, Cheslin Colby, and uh, Francois Lowe um, to the stage. And they were, you could just see these guys are still, they're like mates. So when they chat, they're not chatting like it's a formal press conference. And because they know a couple of the other South African media guys there from rugby reporting, etc. It's just a casual conversation. They let maybe one or two inside jokes slip. Um, It was just, it was fabulous to be there. It was, it was a once in a lifetime experience and to be covering the Laureus when the Springboks win on the 20th anniversary is just something spectacular. So now we've got a young girl sitting at home listening to, to this podcast and she's wondering to herself, how do I get to where Cindy Paluta is to be able to travel the world, to watch the likes of the Springboks uh, lifting aloft this Laureus Team of the Year award um, where she had just got off a plane prior to uh, watching Roger Federer taking Rafael Nadal in Cape Town. Like, how, how do I get to that point? Because in the past, they would have said, no, that, that's beyond the realms of capabilities for any woman. That's not the case anymore. But I can imagine back in the day, to break into this field must have been very difficult. And I'm sure it's a, a question that you've had to answer a lot. But getting into the field, uh, I know the background, kind of. But for those that don't, what did it take and, and, and how hard has it been? Sure. Okay. So I'll start off by saying that I didn't even think that I didn't, it never occurred to me that you could get a job in radio. Radio was something that you played at home and you'd listen to the guy and he spun a track and it, it never like occurred to me that you could be somebody on the radio station. Um, and then I got a job um, answering telephones, at the traffic desk at 702. And that's kind of where it started. And I do have a passion for sport and I do know a lot about sport and that comes from two older brothers and being forced to watch sport and play sport and all of that, which is fabulous. I don't regret any of it. 
Um, and from the traffic desk days, it's, it's evolved into it evolved into uh, weekend sport anchoring. And I actually remember very clearly one day driving to Varsity because I came straight out of school into 702. Um, it was a student job. I was still studying. And I remember driving on the highway and seeing John Walland, the legendary John Walland, um, driving in a car next to me. So he was obviously on his way to the SABC because he was on 5FM at that time. And I was on my way to UJ. And I remember thinking... I'm going to have your job one day. And I was like, that's quite a pompous thing to say. And I was like, there's John Wallen, but I'm going to have his job one day. And I didn't know how. And I just, so many people tweet me or DM me or on Instagram and Twitter and whatever and say, I've got a boyfriend or I've got a girlfriend who's so passionate about sport and they really want to get into it. Please, like, how do you do it? And I'm really one of those people where the stars just aligned. It was literally right place, right time. I never did the community station thing. So when people say to me, what should I do? I always say, go off to a community station or your campus radio station and get some exposure there. I did try at UJ, but I don't think the station manager was there at the time or something like that, so I missed it. But to be able to, as your first gig, be on nine for seven on the weekend in the morning, it's almost unheard of. And then to go off to a rugby match and you're in the box because at, th- at that stage the Lions were sponsored by nine for seven and you meet a couple of people and the one lady works for Supersport and then she knows they've got auditions so she, because she met you at the rugby on Saturday, she says, well, why don't you bring in Cindy and then you audition and the next thing you know you've got a gig on TV. It was just, it was just, if I could say that this industry really is actually about being in the right place at the right time, and it's all about who you know. The problem also this, these days is that everybody sees Cindy Paluta traveling the world, and everybody sees Cindy Paluta getting off her plane and going here and going there, but nobody actually realizes I'm 40 years old. I've been in this industry for 22, almost 22 years. It didn't come overnight. I did weekends forever. It felt like I was going nowhere. In my early 20s when my friends were jawling, yeah, I used to go join them. But, you know, there I was on the weekends and the mornings. And it's all about sacrifice. And you actually have to put in the hard work. And nobody wants to start at the bottom. Nobody wants to start on the weekends getting paid next to nothing and work their way up. Because eventually what happens is the person who reads during the week can't come to work one day. And then before you know it, you're on air and you've got that slot. And that's literally how it works. Uh, I see Sam nodding profusely over there. Now, I'm going to bring in our producer, Sam Hapster, who is also uh, the host of uh, the Great Equalizer podcast. So she's by no means a stranger to the microphone. Sam, is it inspiring listening to someone like Cindy? I'm sure having a show of your own, someone that uh, you certainly look up to. Super, super inspiring. And like the the story you have about John Walland is the same story I have about John Robbie. <laughs> we all have a story. <laughs> Look, that man, I admire. He br- brought me through university. He wow. informed. I studied journalism, and he informed me um, on the daily. I love that man. I saw him per chance at an airport earlier this month, and I was just like, I just have to say, you are my idol. Wow. <laughs> it's a weird idol for a 33-year-old woman to have, but there we go. Um, why I'm nodding, Derek, is because he has Cindy saying right place, right time, but do you think anybody would have given you the chance if you didn't have the goods? So, gosh, that's a, that's, I've never been asked that one. What do you mean by the goods as in the brains, as in the knowledge? I think just that it factor to be on TV, to be on radio, to be chatting, um, not a lot of people can do it. And I think that's where a lot of women fall short. So I think maybe the secret to my success is that, Radio was a passion. 
And when I auditioned for TV as well, when I went in for the audition, I kind of went, well, I know, um, I know my stuff and I work with Jeremy Mansfield in the morning. So if they don't employ me, they don't employ me. Oh, well, what's there to lose? And they put up the name Sanath Jayasaria on the screen and they said, can you read that? <laughs> and of course I could read Sanath Jayasaria. Oh, or was it more literate? I think it might have been more literate, but it was one of the Sri Lankan cricketers and I got through it. And um, I think... If you are confident in your knowledge, it will come out. If you are trying to get into sport, um, and unfortunately on radio, you have to have a very broad knowledge of all sports. You can't just know one sport. Um, if you don't know all your sport, you'll get exposed quickly. You'll go on air, and within two or three weeks, people will be like, no, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. And unfortunately, as women, we get criticized more often um, if we get the smallest thing wrong, that right. perhaps if a man did the same thing, people would just skip over because they're like, oh, it's a woman. They don't know their stuff. I've always treated my radio gig, although it is my full-time paying job, as kind of like a nice to have. Oh, well, it's cool to do that. If it bombs out, it bombs out. Look, if it bombs out, I'll actually be distraught in the corner crying. <laughs> but I've always, I've always like just gone with, well, what's meant to be will be. And I actually wanted to quit radio at the end of 2017 and um, then John Robbie left and we got Kulani, uh, the late Kulani Gwala. And then, you know, uh, Nelly Mdoda took over the 947 Breakfast Club and it came part of that. And at a point where I thought this, my radio career was ending, it's accelerated again. So you actually don't know what the next corner holds. So, and I think that's just been why. I've just kind of gone, well, cool. If I'm here next month, I'm here next month. This is lovely. <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing that you mentioned that because... Radio or broadcasting in general, but particularly radio, is notoriously um, a short-lived career, um, in specific slots especially. So you look at a DJ, I mean, usually their longevity won't last longer than five or six years in a specific slot. And, I mean, you've gone through um, tumultuous times um, over the years. And, and, I mean, I remember you and I were, were quite chatty about this. You mentioned that towards the end of t 2017, you considered uh, quitting. And, I mean, you weren't enjoying yourself at the time with the people that you were around. I won't mention names. But, yeah, suddenly things changed and Ellie came on board and you revolutionized, uh, not yourself, but uh, you, you got a second win, so to speak. And, and to be able to stay in the game for that long and be on top of the game for that long uh, is, is pretty amazing to, to achieve. Uh, one of my colleagues did say to me um, about six months ago, you're an, you're an anomaly in, in terms of sports broadcasting because you're right. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't know of anyone else who's been, maybe apart from John Walland, who's been doing radio, but he even had like a small little break for so long in, the, in kind of the same role. And that's it. So my role has evolved to more of a character on a breakfast show, but that does know still a lot about sport. It's also very easy to become despondent about sport. If you've been doing something for long enough, eventually you're like, oh, do I have to watch this, you know, cricket game, rugby game, soccer game again? But inside there's always still that fire. Um, yeah, you've got to try keep it exciting. You've got to try remember that you're actually so blessed and you're actually in a very fortunate position. Because I always said to my brother, oh, I want an office. And my brother said, why do you want an office? I said, I want to put pictures up. He goes, you know, you have to spend time in the office. And I'm like, yeah, you're actually right. So to get paid to watch sport and talk a whole lot of nonsense on radio, it really is actually the best, the best gig. And I know along the way people have said, um, oh, you're such an inspiration or or, you know, you, you inspire younger girls or younger women or whatever. And when I meet the up-and-comings and they say, oh, my gosh, you know, like, I listen to you all the time, etc. I'm like, 
I watch you, you know, I'm actually like, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> and it's, it's just so lovely to see the way broadcasting in uh, women's sports has changed as well. I mean, you've got Matsudisi on, on rugby. When, when did you ever in your life, in my life, dream and imagine you would see a female A presenting, presenting rugby and doing it just so phenomenally with ease. And it's just, it's, it's come a very, very long way in the industry. Like, for women, it's amazing. Uh, I was involved with the show that, that unearthed Motsudisi as well as Alma Smith and a few other very well-known uh, broadcasters now. And, and I'll never forget during that show, it was called Lady Rugger, where yes. they were looking out for the next female presenter. And it was Alma Smith who ended up uh, winning it and doing a very good job as well. And, and it's interesting that, you know, with going into broadcasting, you did it because of your love for sport, not necessarily your love for broadcasting. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. Whereas there were a few people during that competition where they saw TV yes. and sport was very much secondary, not yes. even. It, it took a, a backseat. And so as you do in, in most competitions like this, like idols, etc., they just come in not having much talent, but just looking to try and break into the TV mold. But like you said, sport, you need to know your stuff. And I'll never forget two of the, the contestants that came through. And I mean, this could have happened in a men's environment as well. Uh, they look at TV and they want it to. And um, the, the one question I posed to, to the one lady was, um, how many minutes is in a half in rugby? And she thought about it for a while and she answered, which half? Oh, no, is that for real? For is real. that not a joke? No, 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 for real. <laughs> I thought that was a joke, like one of those jokes that went wrong. <laughs> Completely legit. And then the second one, I'll never forget. At the time, Peter de Villiers was coach of the Springboks. And uh, we're asking this, this uh, lady about a couple of questions. And she got most of them wrong. And I thought, okay, well, let me just do the final one. And because uh, she was quite good as a, as a presenter. And uh, I said, who is the current coach of the Springboks? And she thought about it and she said, Arno Carstens. Uh, oh no so she was thinking of the lead singer of the Springbok yeah. nude girls oh my gosh so I do find a lot of people want to get into the industry um to be famous and for me um it's not it, it was never about that I just genuinely love sport and this is a cool job and it was a student job and it just evolved um and I, it, like it breaks my heart a little because you can see who's in it to be famous and who just wants the glory as opposed to who you're actually doing it because you actually really, really enjoy the job and, you know, you really enjoy sports. Um, yeah, it's, it's the industry is, is a very fascinating one. But like I said earlier, it will definitely uh, weed you out if you, if you are there just for one thing and one thing only. You really do have to know your stuff. And especially... Find yourself getting tested more in social situations. You know, you'll be at a braai and the men will start talking about a certain or particular sport. Now, I'm the first to say I don't know absolutely everything about every single sport because I cannot know all the statistics. But you generally find the conversation will come up from a guy who knows absolutely everything about rugby. He can tell you something from 1972 and you kind of go, okay, and they try to trip you up. You just go, okay, cool, you know, and walk away. Um, and they kind of go, well, don't you know? And you go, no, I don't know. And, and then they go, well, what kind of sports broadca broadcaster are you? Then you kind of just go, well, who's top of the European so a leaderboard at the moment in Oman or something? And the guy's like, oh. And then you rattle off a leaderboard and then he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, you have to know everything all the time. And actually the social pressure is quite interesting from, from the men out there. But as I've gone along, people have just kind of accepted that now it's a – it's, I'm in sport as opposed to a woman in sport. 
there, there was a, a quite a prevalent tweet uh, a couple of days ago directed at Alma, and it's a question that she gets often. Is it something that you get plenty as well? Oh, typical woman, why don't you stick to the kitchen or something like that? Uh, and, and we see it all the time. I mean, people love their stereotypes. Uh, do you get a lot of that? Um, when Twitter first started, yes, I did. But I think as time has progressed, because a um, don't feed the trolls, don't go for those people on Twitter that, that come at you, ignore them, block them. You can block people on Twitter. So what? So you don't have an extra follower, big deal. But at least you don't have a negative follower. Um, no, actually, because I think I'm quite, um, I'm quite quick thinking and I'm quite sharp that people who have taken me on will nine times out of 10 come off second best. If they don't, I just walk away and go, okay, well, well done. You won big up to you. Congratulations. You made me feel small and you're the hero. Well done. Um, I saw that tweet to Alma and I was just like, oh, roll my eyes. At the end of the day, uh, more men are having girls and they're having daughters and then you kind of just turn around and say, well, I hope one day your daughter never has to, you know, go ask you for a job or your daughter's friend never has to ask you for a job and gets discriminated against because she's female. And that has changed people's mindsets to go, hang on, one day my daughter or my granddaughter might actually get discriminated against just for being female. And when you personalize it, people go, oh, hold on, I'm really being, I'm really being a mean person. And that's how, that's how it's got to change. Um, my husband, for example, now, he, now we've got two girls. I have to say to him, you know, well, I mean, I didn't have to say to him because he's, <laughs> he's obviously women are equal. But sometimes you have to say, it's not okay that that guy did this or that guy did that. And he's like, yeah, you're right, actually. Because as soon as you go, how would you like it if he did it to our daughters? Oh, no, I'd kill him. Well, there you go, 100%. And as soon as men start realizing that, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a mind shift that will happen. And speaking of the two daughters, juggling parented, <laughs> Uh, you, you knew that was going to come up, and, and Sam is uh, all ears now, especially given her background with uh, the great equalizer. Um, how tough has that been? So, um, yeah, so when I, when I fell pregnant uh, the first time, I was in radio and TV. I was at Supersport and I was in radio. So I used to go from Blitz in the mornings and go do afternoon drive on um, 702 and then go home, which was great. But then once I, you know, once I felt pregnant, I kind of uh, resigned from Supersport. My last day, I think, was the day before I went off to have my baby. Yeah, I remember we were working at the... Yeah. That's when we used to have two different presenters for the yes, two stations. So yes. you and I sat next to each other. Yes. You're doing 702 and I was doing Highfield. Then also, we were, do, we were juggling Supersport in the mornings. Yeah, Supersport. <laughs> we were juggling Supersport between us, yeah. Um, and I made the decision there and then, though obviously there's more money to be made in TV, um, I made the decision there and then to stick with radio purely because uh, TV and um, it's quite well known at Supersport. It's three weekends on, one weekend off in general. Um, it's very erratic in terms of your shifts. You don't know where you're going to be. And sport happens on weekends. And unfortunately, family life happens on weekends as well. So I made the decision there to stick with radio purely because radio was Monday to Friday. And that was more routine. And I knew that you know, especially in the early stages, your kids need you and they need routine and they need, you know, if you want to sign them up for art or, you know, whatever it is, moms and babes or whatever those things are, you need that routine. So, um, yeah, I had to make that decision. It was a really, really, it wasn't an easy one, but it kind of just went, well, the time now, you know, I had done my time at Supersport. It was a great five years. It's okay to close that chapter now and walk away and focus on family. Um, in terms of traveling, 
Uh, they don't like it when I travel actually at all. Um, each of them have their turn to have their little meltdown when I get back. Like one time one will be fine with it and the next time you go the other one wasn't fine with it. And they won't say it straight away but you know, after a few days they go, oh, I missed you when you were gone. At the end of the day, they need to see me working. They need to see me traveling. They need to see me being productive because one day they are going to be working and traveling and productive. And hopefully... I don't have too much of a therapist bill when they're in their early 20s, but hopefully then they can do the same and not feel guilty. You'll always feel guilty, but not feel as much guilt because if they come out of it semi-unscathed, semi they will go, well, it's okay for me to have a career and travel and be a mom, if that makes sense. Total sense. So I, um, I, say, I say the same thing to myself. I'm a working mom. However, I'm also married to someone in sports. <laughs> and sports happens... On the weekends, weekends. <laughs> and 24-7. So I actually don't know how you juggle it. Um, so, so I'll tell you my secret is my husband doesn't particularly watch sports. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you juggle it. Um, I always joke and I, you know, he always says, stop telling people I don't like sport. He does. Um, so he's more of a MotoGP uh, fan. And as a result, I, I never even knew about MotoGP until I met him. And then it became really exciting. And, it's, and I think it's fabulous. Derek will argue that it's not a sport. We know this. Even though Skulkberg is a huge fan of it as well. I actually do like it. But I yeah, used to yeah. do it. I used to tease oh, Cindy all the time all on the Twitter time. when she used to, to give us the updates. I said, oh, fantastic. You and the... The, the three fans really enjoyed that news. You see, and now Brad Binder is in MotoGP and now everybody knows, right? Um, but yeah, so I always say, if you literally had to, if you literally had to, if I had to be married to somebody who's obsessed, as obsessed with sport as me, we would never leave the house. We would get nothing done on the weekends. We would just sit there the whole day watching sports. So I don't know, I don't know how you do it. Uh, that's, Sorry. Do you still feel the pressure um, to be the main caregiver? I mean, I know we're pushing as women uh, for us to have equal households. But at the end of the day, I still feel that even though I'm working a full-time job and my husband's working a full-time job, I'm still the main caregiver. How, how old are your kids? Uh, I have a three-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to get a lot easier, I have to Good tell to you. Um, it's in the beginning, I think... In general, this has gone. This has gone a very. This podcast <laughs> taken a real turn. In the beginning, in general, men don't actually know what to do with small children, and it's not because they don't want to help. They actually just don't know what to do. And if you anything like me, I just did it myself because I I wanted it done my way. Where actually I should have just let my husband do whatever he wanted because I was always like, no, I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. Um, yes, I am still the primary caregiver. I am still the. Um, I am, st I am still there for them when I fetch them from school. That's also one of the main reasons why I don't try to do more than the radio, so that I'm there for pretty much everything that happens after 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, but in terms of being primary caregiver, the older they get, I'm not there in the morning. So my husband has to get them ready for school, and he has to drop them off at school. And recently he actually um, watched my daughter, went before she went to bed, she said, um, I want a French plait in my hair tomorrow. And he went, um, oh, okay, and who's going to do that? She said, you are, we're going to watch this YouTube tutorial and you're going to do it. And he kind of went, um, okay, and, but I don't want to practice it now. And she goes, you should practice it now. And he said, no, we'll do it in the morning. And in the morning, uh, in the afternoon, I fetch her from school and I'm like, who did your hair? You know, because she said, now she's got a French plait. She goes, no, daddy did it. He watched a tutorial and he did it. And I was like, 
Props up to this man, seriously. So, what's your husband's name? Mark. So, Mark, <laughs> if you were on my podcast, Cindy, we have a, a sound, a little sound clip of an applause, and I would <laughs> give him a round of applause right about now. So, <laughs> the thing is also with my job, um, and the older the kids get, the less dependent on you they become. So, you know, they, I mean, they can verbalize what they want and when and however. And one of the things the teachers had, has have said to me among, along the years is that my children are very independent. Um, and that has purely come from me not being there in the mornings. And they've had to just get themselves ready and give themselves breakfast and go off to school. So you are teaching them life lessons along the way. Like I say, we don't know what the therapist bills will be later. But if you just do the best you can now, it is difficult because you do come home and you do want to lie down and you just want to close your eyes for three seconds. And especially with a the three-year-old, they are so busy. But I miss those days, if I could tell you that. I miss those days of them actually needing me. Like, they're like, can I have it? I'm like, I'll do it for you. And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. And then you go, no, don't you need me? So don't wish it away too fast. Do they think it's cool that you're on radio? Do they appreciate the fact that you're on there? And uh, are they constantly trying to, to hear you? They think it's cool because their friends think it's cool. Um, they think it's cool because of the freebies that you sometimes get, uh, the cool experiences that people organize for you. Um, of course, the, those are you know the perks of the job. They don't think it's cool that I get to travel and they don't. And they don't think it's cool that my husband and I get to go to Cape Town to watch a tennis match and they don't, even though they'll never remember it or experience it. Um, I remember the one time saying, my one daughter saying, but Anel is on the radio. And I was like, yes, but I'm also on the radio. And they were like, no, she's on the radio. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, and then they love coming to work with me in the holidays. And you're going to laugh, not because they get to see the show or get to – because they know everybody now. Um, you know, on, on the 947 Breakfast Club, you know, they'll, we'll go to each other's houses or whatever. So they know, each other, they know everybody now. Um, but they actually like coming to my work for the vending machine. And I say to them, you know that you can actually, I can go to the shops, I can buy you one of everything that is currently in this vending machine for the price of – one of the items in the vending machine. No, no, no. They, they bring their little 20 rands and they come to the vending machine. And if it's out of order, they're like, well, this is the worst day ever. I'm like, okay. It's actually funny because my very first day at Prime Media, I, I messaged Zane Derbyshire because we had a vending machine back then that served hot chocolate. Yes. And, and I messaged Zane Derbyshire, who was, uh, I can't remember what he was doing there at the time, music compiler, I think. And I said to him, do you have any money on you? I want to go get a hot chocolate. He said, no, it's free. And I said, oh, my God, this place is heaven. So that first week, I was in love with the place purely because of these free. Uh, I know your daughters had to pay, though, but uh, I can completely understand where they're coming from. No, the hot chocolate's still free. Uh, so is the coffee uh, from the machine. Yeah, no, that is all still free, but the vending machine, you still have to pay. That, has, that hasn't changed. And they just, uh, you know what, they, I don't think they know any different because I was in it before they were born, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't know any different. They do think... Um, I went to game the one time and I paid um, for a whole lot of items or whatever. And as, you know, the woman read my name on the card and she put the card in and she went, oh my gosh, are you Cindy Paluta? And I'm like, yeah, she's the cashier. She starts crying. She starts going, oh my gosh, it's such an honor to meet you. And she's going on and on. And my kids just stood there. And as we walked, I was like, okay, thank you. We took all the parcels. As we walk out the door, my one daughter goes, that is the most awkward thing I have ever been part of in my whole life. I'm like, you think you feel awkward? I had to just smile. <laughs> so yeah, they do, they do get it. They do understand. I, I try and keep Ash uh, away from TV as much as I, I possibly can. And that's my four-year-old daughter. And um, 
every now and then when I am on TV, I especially keep her away from that. And and it's it's amazing how you mention about because her friends think think it's cool. Because the only time she really ever sees me if, if she's at friends' house, and then if I'll pop on. The parents usually go, oh, look, it's your dad. And they'll turn the volume up. And then Ash ends up running away. And they've said it to me before. They said it's a very weird reaction because we think, oh, it's cool. And, and I've tried to keep her away from it. And, um, yeah, it's, I kind of like the fact that she doesn't really know that side of things. Um, but I, I completely understand what you're saying. It's, it's more the other people that are affected by it than, than the kids themselves. Yeah, it's, it's you know, when you, go to this, when you go to school, so many of the kids stop me when I'm on the school run, and they say, oh, can you give me a shout-out on the radio, or can I come to work with you one day, et cetera, et cetera. And um, my kids are like, can we just go home, stop talking to everybody? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> but for them, um, for them and even my immediate family, my brothers will tell you, they don't get it. They're like, huh? Like, we'll be out somewhere, and somebody will come up and go, oh, my gosh, are you Cindy? And I'm like, yes, so lovely to meet you. And my brothers are like, this is just so weird. And we went out to a restaurant the other night, and they bought a platter of dessert, like, on the house. Like, I didn't even know that they knew that I was there. And the waiter said, no, 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 this is on us, you know. And my brother, and my kids are like, I don't like this one. And my brother was like, just eat it. Your mother, Cindy Paluda, lap it up. <laughs> Nobody ever gets this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, and and strangely enough, my parents l- literally know little to nothing that happens. Um, they don't really listen on the radio. They'll hear from friends. Oh, your daughter said this, or your daughter said that, and they're like, oh, okay. You know, they're like oblivious to all of it, except if there's a traffic problem. For some reason, they still phone me, even though traffic was what I did 20 <laughs> years ago. I'm like, you know, I don't have connections in that anymore. But yeah, it's been a, it's been like just chatting now. It's been a real long interesting right <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned about once dads particularly have daughters how their mindsets change with regards to the future uh, of their of their kids and you speak about the heroes that they look up to and um watching the proteus women's for instance uh, doing so well now at the t20 world cup in australia uh I have changed my mindset completely um, prior to the tournament, obviously. But with Ashley growing up, I thought, okay, cool, having a love for sport, I'd really like her to get into sport. She's also got huge feet. So for me, at a stage, it was, well, she's going to be a swimmer, and that's what I'm going to focus my attention on. Got into swimming classes immediately, and and that's going to be her life for the rest of uh, my life. And now watching the women's side play, it's changed my mindset completely. And, And I think watching a broadcaster like you that's also changed people's perceptions. There's no question, oh, it's a male-dominated area, et cetera, et cetera. But suddenly you see women on a global stage doing well consistently, getting media coverage, and your mindset changes completely. And, and it's opening doors left, right, and center, and that's exactly what you want. Well, I mean, in the last two years, if I can think about Banyana going off to the FIFA Women's World Cup for the first time ever, and then you've got now the Proteas women doing so well at the T20 World Cup, and you've got... Um, the netball team doing so well at the World Cup. I mean, that was so exciting. Um, Unfortunately, obviously, they didn't make the final, but it was so exciting. And you've just got this boost and this interest in women's sports, and not because it's women, so now we must get behind them because shame, they need our help, but actually because they are shining on a global stage where at the moment the men's Proteus team really isn't, and I can't remember the last time Bafana shone like the way Banyana is shining. So it's just, it's been, it's been absolutely unbelievable. And to be, you know, to be a little girl growing up and seeing these people around you, like Castus Semenya, and just to have these, these role models and these idols. And 
to kind of go, well, actually, the voice coming out the radio speaking sports is a woman. You know, it shouldn't be that's a woman who knows sport. That should be that that's a person that knows sport. So I feel like women's sport in the last two years really has done a lot. I myself also have a swimmer. I have a daughter who's a swimmer. And um, it's just so competitive out there. And sport is competitive. So if we speak about kids in sports, I, I, I generally tend to say to people, because everybody seems to think, and this is boys and girls alike, they have the next A.B. de Villiers and they have the next Sia Khaleesi and they, you know, they, everybody thinks their child is that. And I go, you know, you've got like a 1 in 11 chance or a 1 in 15 chance. Rather focus on, if you really think you're a phenomenal sports person, rather focus on an individual sport, golf, Swimming where it's literally you against yourself and there's nobody you have to compete against. Um, but it's women's sport at the moment, you see it with sponsors, you see it, you see it everywhere. It's just, it's, it's really doing so well and it's just so great to see how far it has come in 20 years. Um, you know, women's sport wasn't even broadcast when I was at Supersport. There was hardly any women's sport on TV. And now you've got a whole T20 Women's World Cup being shown every game, not just the South Africa games, because in the past it was just when South Africa players will show the games. You've got FIFA Women's World Cup. You know, you've got Megan Rapinoe being such an amazing, you know, the USA captain being such an amazing role model. It's, it's, so, it's so phenomenal to see. It's really great. Well, I'm going to hold you there because we are on this subject. So let's get Mignon Dupria on the line, who's one of the superstars of the Proteus side, doing wonders over in Australia at the Women's T20 World Cup. It's uh, been an incredible run in the tournament for them, undefeated so far. Unfortunately, their final game was rained out against the West Indies. However, it didn't really mean much, although it did mean that they get the extra point and uh, as a result finished top of the table in Group B. We're very lucky to have Mignon Dupria on the line, all the way from Sydney. Uh, Mignon, welcome uh, and uh, congratulations on your progress so far. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for having me and for all the support from home. We really appreciate it more than we can say. Cindy, I've been blown away with the support. I, I love the fact that women's cricket is getting so much traction uh, in South Africa and beyond, but uh, as each match progresses with the Proteas, you can see people starting to take an even bigger interest um, as they work their way towards that final, hopefully. I think Mignon can agree with me. When you start off in a tournament, you think, is anybody out there watching me, supporting me? And then I think the win, the opening win over England was just so huge that everybody was like, hang on a second. These ladies are going to do it. They're going to really impress. And I'm sure, Mignon, you can agree that as the tournament's gone, as you start reaching the knockout stages, etc., people start uh, vocalizing more support for the team. I'm sure you felt it. Yeah, I must say we've been very fortunate that we've been um, getting text messages and WhatsApps and videos and social media posts from all around the world and definitely from all our family members. They keep us updated to everything that's been in the media back home. We just get some um, photos of newspapers all the time and it's, it's awesome to see the amount of interest that there is for women's cricket at the moment and even here in Australia. I mean, it's phenomenal to see the amount of effort that the ICC and Cricket Australia put into um this, this year's World Cup, you just see banners all over. Every, there's buses that's banded. Everywhere you go, you see some fu- kind of billboard with something related to the T20 World Cup. So it's really amazing and it's really something special to be part of. As great as it is to receive a lot of all these messages, how do you block out that noise? Because, I mean, we all know we can get addicted to social media and be on our phones forever and a day. And as professional sports people, you can't do that. But how do you block it all out and remain focused? Yeah, I think for us it's just about like enjoy the moment, but then 
it's, it's over and over. So after the first game, I mean, against England, it was an amazing win. It's something we've never done before. But then we realize it's, it's only the first game of the World Cup. We still have, it's only one hurdle gone. Um, and I think that was the key thing for us, is just to stay focused on the mo- main goal, which is actually make it, bring it all the way into the final and hopefully bring the trophy home. So even now the girls know, yes, we made it to the semi-finals, but um, that's not where we want to finish. So I think by keeping our eyes on the prize and the bigger picture um, and, and knowing that everybody is, uh, is pulling in the same direction to, to reach that goal, that kind of helps to stay focused. Minyan, talk us through that opening match against England and particularly those final few overs. So I was, I was uh, out of the country at the time, so I was following it on Crick Info. And when we got to those final two overs, uh, I think you needed 19 runs going into the final two. Um, you were uh, batting alongside Chloe Tryon. Uh, Chloe hit that massive six uh, midway through, through the penultimate over. Then she went out. So going into that final one, you needed nine of six. We've seen this story before. I think nine was a famous moment margin that the Proteas needed in 1999 uh, when uh, Lance Clusen was at the crease uh, in the semi-final over there. So I'd seen nine from six and immediately, um, yeah, just bro- uh, brought back uh, the, the memories and nightmares of the past. I thought, ah, it's not going to happen. And you broke the back of the English uh, off the third ball with that huge six. Uh, I know you spoke about the fact that you thought it wasn't going to reach the boundary, but in the end, it, it did so quite convincingly as well. Did you know then and there that uh, yeah this this match is won and it's because of me? I must say, like I was hoping that's the case, but um before that ball, I just I actually spent some time in my head, like praying and just saying, Lord, if ever there was a time that you gave me power, <laughs> can it please be now? And the very next ball flew over the boundary for six, and then I kind of realised, what well, okay, but um I mean that's the hard part gone, but there's still another one that we needed to get, so. Um, I, myself and Tanae got together and we said, listen, it's one of three. We're not going to do something ridiculous like just start running. Um, there's still a few balls to go. Obviously, they brought in the field. So I knew if I make half contact, it, I just need to clear the inner ring. Um, so I thought like, okay, this next ball is coming. I'm hopefully, I'm going to try and swing hard and get it through. If not, we still have two balls to go to get that run. Worst case scenario, we run on that last ball. <laughs> so, um, and at that stage, I mean, back of the mind, I thought, okay, at least we've got the super over um, also that, that, that will play a role. But um, I must say, after the six, I think the, the nerves, so that was the hard part. And then um, my session, I was also very supportive at the other end to say, just stay nice and calm, back yourself. And um, fortunately, um, Catherine Brunt was quite nice and uh, gave me a uh, uh, full toss for that last which which was easy to dispatch to the boundary but um all in all I must say it it, it sounds easier when it's done while you're out there um you never know um what can happen I mean T20 is such an interesting format and anything can happen on the day so you're never out of it until that that final run is scored now Mignon uh, tomorrow you play the defending champions Australia and um that's going to be quite a tough one however there's rain predicted uh, for Sydney, and they say that should the should the game be rained out with no reserve day, that puts South Africa against India in the final. How exciting are you? Kind of are you praying once again and saying once again if ever there was a prayer to be answered, it's now. <laughs> yeah, like um, I think uh, all in all, we have to go to the game prepared to play because, uh, like we say, um, there's some things you can't control, and rain and weather is obviously uncontrollable. But something that we can control is our preparation, making sure, sure we're ready and focused. And you don't want to go to the game thinking it might not happen. And then all of a sudden it opens up and you have to play. So, yes, I think all in all in the back of my mind, 
we wouldn't mind if it kept on raining because um, I think it, it as 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 the tournament progressed, it kind of turned out just in our favour all the time. And now we realise how important that probably the first win was because um, if we didn't win against England yesterday's game against the West Indies, might have been a must-win game. And if that got rained out, we might have missed out in the semi-final. So. I think everything has worked out according to plan as as of yet. So I trust that the same um, would would be in place for tomorrow. So we're going to go out there as if we're going to play and be as prepared as we can to play Australia. But um, if if it doesn't happen, we wouldn't uh, wouldn't not, not <laughs> be excited if it kept on raining. Because <laughs> I mean, playing in a final that is that is something we've all been dreaming of since we were little girls and started playing cricket. So to be in a World Cup final at the MCG. With the Katy Perry show, and they want to fill this, the MCG with 90,000 spectators, that's going to be something spe- special too. So hopefully we can be part of that. Minyan, there's always been complaints uh, that the women's game often takes a backseat to the men's game. And regarding the rest day, I mean, do you think that there should be one in place um, by the organisers? Remember that they did apply to the men's tournament uh, at the end of last year. And if there wasn't a rest day in place, New Zealand wouldn't have made the final because their initial match was, was rained out against India. Um, and, yeah, I've got to ask, you know, because we've got two days in between your semi and the final, because we've got, um, what, Friday and Saturday won't, won't be anything, and then you, you move over to the MCG. Um, do you think that there should have been a, a rest day at least thought about um, for the women's competition? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that the, the ICC will probably take into consideration in a future tournament. I think, especially with um, with it being such a short tournament, um, you you, you want to get the best out of the cricket that in the end of the day. So I think a reserve day for semi-finals and finals is definitely key because um, it might work out this time in our favour, but um, there might be in the future time when when if rain keeps you out of a final, I think it's going to hurt a lot more. So um, I definitely think you know, for the best of the of the game, there should probably be a reserve day and give everybody a fair shot at the final. Now, Mignon, we're not there, obviously, and we just rely on all the feedback that's sent back to us, but what is, and this is a cliche question, the mood in the camp ahead of tomorrow's semi-final? No, the girls are super excited. There's definitely going to be a bit of nerves around. I think a few of the girls haven't been um, at a T20 World Cup, nevertheless, at a, at a semi-final event, but... Um, I think it's it's one of those things. It's such an amazing opportunity, and um, we get to do what we love, and we get to go out with our with friends that become family. So I think um, everybody's super excited. Um, I, I think that belief that we know that we can take it one step further and go to the final is definitely around the whole group. Um, I'm super excited. I've never felt this way in in a World Cup before. So we can't wait for tomorrow to come and um, to get out on the park and hopefully beat the others and make it all the way to the final and bring back a trophy to South Africa. One thing I really enjoy about tournaments like these, it does uh, put people on a global stage. And um, players who weren't recognized prior, suddenly they become household names. And, and certainly that's the case with the, the South African side at this tournament. Um, the, the likes of you and Danae, certainly uh, a lot of people know of you, the, the former captain and the captain, and given the successes that you've had in the past. But uh, you look through the list, uh, the likes of Liz Ali, um, Chloe Tryon coming into her own. Sinead Luss, who's is starting to really make an name for herself on the global stage. Um, do you see yourself uh, surrounded by these up-and-coming superstars? And can you feel it uh, that they, they're starting to appreciate the fact that people know who they are and what they're capable of achieving? 
yeah, definitely. And I think another name that just pops to mind is Laura Volford. And um, if it wasn't for her innings against Pakistan, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I think it's awesome. And then also somebody like um, our new newbie, um, we call her Lefty, but Malaba, our left-arm spinner, um, she's been super successful. I think she's got one of the most economical figures in, in World Cups. I think she got one one wicket for four runs in four overs against Thailand. And that's somebody that's at her first World Cup um, and, and, and so that's, it's awesome to see um, that, that women's cricket. I know when I started out, we, our games weren't even televised. Now they start out on this global stage, all the all eyes on them. And um, the way they've just stepped up to this amazing opportunity is awesome to see. And I'm excited to see what the future is going to hold for all of them. I was just about to ask, so you're obviously excited for the future of women's uh, cricket because at some point you're going to have to hand over. Um, and I'm sure you feel like you're leaving it in reliable hands. Yes, definitely. I think um, I've been fortunate to play with a lot of the girls for a very long time. And, and I know uh, the future of cricket in South Africa, especially women's cricket, is really bright. And um, I would be sad to, to go. I said the other day in an interview, it's almost like I feel like I've got a little bit of FOMO, the fear of missing out. So there's so much happening in the women's space and in the women's game um, that I might just extend retirement plans a little bit to keep on playing for as long as possible to be part of it because it's just awesome to see how it keeps on growing from strength to strength. And what are those plans? Uh, because, I mean, it feels like you've been around for ages because you have. Because, I mean, you broke into the side at, yeah. at a very young age. And I'm not going to reveal your age, but you're still extremely young. Um, so, whereas other people who've been in, in, a, in a cricketing uh, squad for, for almost a decade or more, um, certainly retirement uh, would be thought about and just be around the corner. But, yeah, you've got plenty of years left in the tank. And uh, are you going to see it out uh, for a, a, a plenty more? Definitely. I think um, in the near future, uh, it's, it's recently been announced that the next T20 World Cup, the 2022 one, will be in South Africa. And um, women's cricket will also be part of the Commonwealth Games. So that's definitely something that I still have my eyes set on. Um, hopefully we can defend our title in South Africa and then be part of the first team that plays in the, in a, in a, uh, the Commonwealth Games. So definitely no, no plans before then. But um, also it is something that I need to, to look I want to start a family and have a family. And if the opportunity is there that I can do it whilst playing, that would be even better. But um, otherwise, probably... Around 2022, I would have to start start uh, <laughs> making some plans and, and look what, what the future looks like. But um, no, nothing before then, definitely. Yeah, I think that uh, just about wraps it up. Mignon, uh, best of luck for Thursday uh, for the semi-final against the Aussies. Um, they look very, very dangerous. Of course, they, they lost their opening match against India. Uh, I'm not going to say we're holding thumbs for rain. Uh, we would like to see some action, but overall, we want you to make it to the final, uh, whether by, by rain or, or, or by play. Um, and, and we certainly know that you, you ladies are capable of achieving that. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for all the support and the support back home. We really appreciate it, and uh, we're going to do our best to make everybody proud. And thank you so much, uh, Mignon. I know you say that your career isn't over yet, but just for being an absolute inspiration to so many up-and-coming young stars, just that, you know, there's often this, this perception that women have to stop doing their careers to have children and give up sports to have children, um, yet here you are continuing. So thank you, and continue doing the great work that you're doing. Uh, thank you very much. The honour is actually all mine. Um, it's a pleasure, and I'm really fortunate to be able to have this long career. So um, I'll I'll make the best of it for as long as I can. Thanks, Mignon. Play well. See you in the final. Thank, thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Bye.
Oh, what a phenomenal player. Yeah, she is somebody who who really, I actually don't know Proteus Women's Sport without her and Danae Van Eckerk, like for like, uh, maybe a few other names that have slipped my mind. But I really don't remember a time when they weren't on the pitch. And like she says, the, the coverage, the spon- you know, spo- A, sponsors, and B, television coverage is so crucial to sport in general. Even if you think of smaller sports, like even men's hockey, if they don't get the coverage, nobody watches and nobody knows because nobody gets excited about it because you're not going to sit on the weekend online trying to fo- follow a game on a blog. You're going to be trying to watch it on the TV. So, yeah, Mignon Dupre, she is just she's just stunning. And if you meet her in real life, she's just such a nice, friendly, down-to-earth person. For somebody who's achieved so much... That's another thing. The women achieve just as much as the men. You see like Janine van Veek and, and Banyana Banyana. And you almost, you know, we don't blow enough smoke around them. We don't make enough noise, et cetera, around them. And what these women have done is really phenomenal. Sam, you've got a, a love-hate relationship with sport, given the fact that you lose your husband to sport uh, very, very often, uh, uh, mostly because of me, so apologies. But just listening to Mignon there, and, and having seen what you've seen uh, about the Proteus women's side, um, do you get a sense that it, it certainly is, is not just on the up, but it, it's breaking down barriers with each game that's played? Look, yeah, I, I've seen it amongst, because I'm in it, you know. We've got a, a man on the ground there in Oz, um, a Raider guy, and so I, it's kind of in my sphere. But uh, just looking at or talking to people around me, it's really just on their radar now. And I'm super excited to see women just kind of taking the flag for, for themselves and, and stepping up and people taking notice. Um, I wonder also how much that has to do with social media. But in, in that instance, it's again, it's women standing up for themselves and taking that and being recognized on a global stage. So, yeah, super excited, and I do think that it's making tracks, even though I am aware of it in a personal uh, sphere as a media widow, but I do think that um, other people are sitting up and starting to take notice. Uh, just got to bring up some other names that have really shone the light on women's sport from a South African point of view. Um, looking at the Dakar, uh, I just got back from there. Uh, Kirsten Luntman and Tay Perry, um, prior to the Dakar, not many people knew of them. Uh, kudos to media outlets for giving them coverage, but more kudos to them for forcing people to, to talk about them. And for finishing. Yes. Um, because the Dakar, you, you don't, people don't appreciate the Dakar. It's kind of like people don't appreciate murder GP. That's me taking a dig at you, Derek Alberts. Um, but people don't appreciate the Dakar until um, I once went to hear a spe- uh, talk by Daryl Curtis where he spoke. He literally had just come back from his, I think maybe his first or second Dakar. And he took us through what it's like to actually be on the bike and reading the navigation and navigating the actual terrain and thinking, I was like, how are you still alive? And here you've got these two women and you wouldn't, you know, we're not supposed to be out. Firstly, we're not supposed to be on bikes, according to you know society. We're not supposed to be racing. We're not supposed to be racing in a desert. We're not supposed to be doing this life-threatening race because let's not, let's not, joke about how serious the Dakar actually is. It's, it's hectic out there. Well, and there was a bet this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah. And, and you just sit there and you go, wow, that is unbelievable because you can tell that those, those women have been brought up to be equal. They, they kind of go, well, why can't I? Why can't I? 
Um, and it's in everyday lessons like that that you, you can get these lessons as you go along. And one that springs to mind was we had a gala, a swimming gala at my child's school. And it was a boys' school, and my child goes to co-ed. And they raced a boys' team against a mixed girls' and boys' team. And I was like, this is a bit unfair. My daughter went, why? Why is it unfair? And their team won, the co-ed team won. It had two girls, two boys, and they beat the four boys. And she's like, why is it unfair? And I'm like, you're so right. Why, you know, and even in my mind, I've got to kind of stop myself sometimes. So, yes, we did give extra coverage to women riding the Dakar because, wow, just to ride the Dakar in itself is amazing. And we always like to showcase South Africans. So to have South African women doing it is even, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. We're not quite there yet in terms of a perfect society whereby we acknowledge exactly like you just said, whereby why is it uh, different? Why, why should we accept? Why, why should we question uh, four guys going up against two guys and two girls? Um, do you see a future where everyone will be treated as an equal? And, and if so, will it be sooner rather than later? Oh, that puts me on the spot, eh? Um, <laughs> unfortunately... I think it'll take a very long time. And it all comes down to the whole, the whole pay scale. Um, we've seen it in tennis where, where men have openly said, I mean, I spoke about Novak Djokovic and I'm a huge fan of his, but unfortunately he doesn't believe that women and men should get paid the same because men pay five sets and women play three. Um, so I think it's going to take a very long time. It's also going to take, if you look at the top 100 highest paid sport athletes in terms of sponsors, out of 100 there's maybe five, six women, not even. So I think it's going to take a very, very long time. And that all comes down to exposure. And it all comes down to television exposure because nobody wants to put a sponsor, you know, nobody wants to sponsor your back unless they, you know, people are going to see it on the TV screen. So women will continue to, to shine. Women will continue to <laughs> go forward. Um, but it's going to take a very, very long time to be equal, I think. You talk about the, the pay discrepancies. And what about the glamour side of things? If I, if I think about someone like Anna Kornikova, mm. who made millions from being a tennis player but not winning on the tennis court. She never won a slam. She never came close to winning a major. Um, yet she obviously did very, very well for herself in the spotlight being blonde, blue-eyed. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in response to that, can women... I don't, I don't know how to put it. Can they? Can women transcend the way that they look, right? Yeah, you. you and just uh, speak, for their, me, speak for their talents. <laughs> you see, you see how nervous he is. No, you, I'm this is the, this is the, um, the kind of uh, narrative that we're in at the moment. So it's difficult conversations that have to be had because men do get nervous because they don't want to say the, they don't want it to come across the wrong way. So it's not like. What I'm saying is wrong. I don't want it to come across the wrong way. And what, what Derek is trying to politely ask <laughs> is how do we get around sponsoring people just for their looks as opposed to their actual skills and their actual talent is what he's asking because he's right. The likes of Anna Kornikova made a lot of money off, the, off her looks because it was, because she was the it girl of tennis. Um, off the top of my head, and of course it's, I've gone completely blank, but there will be one or two men who've also been sponsored based on looks and popularity as opposed to actual skill and talent. Oh, without a doubt. So, um, but it's, it is going to take a while. Uh, but I think it has changed. And I think, I think the role models that we do have have changed. I mean, look at Megan Rapinoe. And 
um, Casta Semenya and all these women who who have really changed the way we we view women in sport. And they put in the, they put in those hard hours and they train just as hard. And for me, I just feel you should get paid on merit. That's it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's on merit. If you show up every day and you're dedicated and you win trophies and you win awards and you make it to semifinals and finals, um, let's let's reward them. So, will the protest women team be given an extra bonus for making the semifinals? Like, uh, I think it was Spa came on board and gave the Nepal ladies extra money for making the semifinals at the World Cup. Um, so, our, our, I think Banyana got extra money for or Bafana got extra money for uh, Afcon. So. Are our Proteas women getting extra money for making it to the semi-final of the cricket world of this T Twenty World Cup? I uh, yeah. I, I no, we imagine. don't know. Yeah, I'm we have no idea. But I can ask, imagine. I'm going to go ask that question seen, on Twitter yeah. right now. I'm going to go ask it actually. <laughs> and they finished on top of the group. I mean, it's the best performance they've ever had at an ICC event. So yeah, they're certainly worth their weight in gold. Will they see the gold? That's uh, what what we're waiting to see. And. You mentioned role models. Earlier you spoke about the fact you, you chatted to someone and you said, no, you inspire me. Who are your role models? Um, I'm inspired by anybody who makes a difference, to be honest. Um, I'm inspired by anybody who doesn't necessarily put their life on the line, but who speaks out for their cause and actually doesn't care what you think about them if they speak out about their cause. Um, and I'm inspired by a lot of strong women. So somebody, obviously, who springs to mind straight away is um, Anelia daughter. Having worked with her in the last two years, I have learned more about self-worth and knowing your worth and not letting people walk over you because you are a woman. No, I am doing the job than I've ever learned from anybody in my whole life. And um, she really is somebody who, despite her absolute huge stardom still like remains humble and down to earth and, you know, cares about people. It hasn't, you know, it hasn't gotten to her head and she's not inflated. So I'm inspired by people who also mentor others and who help others get to where they're going. Um, And I'm, I'm inspired by people who lift people, who help other people, who don't step on you to get to where they need to go. And in the industry that you work in, they're hard to find. In the industry that I work in, it's at the end of the day, I've always said it's a very difficult one because we are the product. I am the product. If one day work turns around and says to me, we no longer want you on air, they're not saying, oh, well, the water you sold us is really bad. Can you, you know, refund me? They're saying, you. We don't like you. And that's a very diff- difficult pull, uh, pull to swallow. And at the end of the day, the industry is actually... It's in quite a bad state at the moment. We're hearing about, you know, retrenchments here and there and, you know, jobs are few and far between and it is a very niche industry. So, yeah, to find people who don't try and step on you along the way, and it did happen. It did happen in my early part of my career, but I was kind of like, okay, (laughs) no big deal. Um, It is very difficult. But at the end of the day, I just believe in, in karma. And if you help others, it will honestly, it will just come back to you. And... I am genuinely passionate about women getting into broadcasting. So I'll always push for women in broadcasting. Absolutely. Over 20 years in the industry, got to be a lot of highlights. (laughs) I know I'm going to, but two or three that really, really stand out. And and I've got to ask about embarrassing moments because there's one that I know about 
very, very well when we were over at Supersport. Oh, okay, good. I thought you were going to talk about the recent one. Um, so I would have to say uh, highlights will always be when I've traveled. So I was fortunate enough to be there when Chris Froome won his first Tour de France in the final stage. Um, I was fortunate enough to be there for the opening of the Rugby World Cup in England and subsequently the following day when we lost to Japan. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be in Wellington for the 16-all draw between the Springboks and New Zealand last year. More recently, Roger Federer against Nadal in tennis. So I would definitely say those are the highlights. They've also been like one or two where you meet what, who you think are celebrities for the first time. So I remember Supersport one, uh, once asking me to fly, to go to Dalstrom, not fly, to go to Dalstrom to interview Ernie Els on one of his signature golf courses. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is unbelievable. So it has been, you know, meeting people for the first time, like massive celebrities for the first time. Um, embarrassing moments, the one that I actually thought you were going to speak about was after the 16-all draw, we went to the press conference afterwards, the Bach press conference, and um, I said to Rassi, and I think I was the only one of the only South African media in the room apart from Supersports, and I said, um, a 16-all win must feel absolutely amazing. <laughs> and he went... It's a draw. I'm like, yeah, it was like a win. We won. <laughs> and I just like threw it back at him. So that, oh, no, inside I was like, oh my gosh. And I hadn't even had any drinks. So I couldn't even like, do that. But Good the, comeback though, because everyone in South Africa felt, felt like it, it was listen, a win to South Africa, theoretically. Listen, that stadium emptied so quickly. It was definitely a win to South Africa. Um, the embarrassing moment that Derek's speaking about, and I'll gladly, I mean, I'm, I've repeated this a hundred times, and I really am not embarrassed to say it. So back in the day, uh, Blitz was recorded and it had a presenter. So what would happen is you would do the seven o'clock bulletin live, and then you would stay afterwards and you'd do pre-recorded links, generic ones. So, hey, round two of the European Masters, uh, let's check what happened. And then somebody would slot in the relevant package so that that could loop through the night until the morning, till six o'clock, till, you know, the bulletin got refreshed and a new anchor came in. And we were recording and I kept fumbling over the same bit, the same bit, the same bit. And eventually I was like, oh, and I won't swear, but I said, oh, shaving cream guys, we have to do that again. And I put my head down on the desk and um, they were like, okay, let's do it again or whatever. And lo and behold, the editor at the time didn't cut that out. He just couldn't understand why the package was so long. So he cut from the end. He didn't go to the beginning and think, oh, well, maybe there were a couple of bloopers up front. So that looped three times. And my only saving grace, and I still say it to this day, is that there was no PVR then. So nobody could record it. But I would still to this day love a copy of that. <laughs> Do you know anyone who could get me a copy of that? I, uh -uh. I think Supersport burnt the tapes. But, but I would love it. But didn't Mark Gilman bring it yes. up the next day on Five? And then Mark Gilman spoke about it for a week on air. And then I was like, okay, guys. <laughs> ah, they were like, did you see this girl on Supersport last night? Blah, blah, blah. And then they confused me. Um, with Hendrine Crevier. So in the beginning, because uh, she was also a Supersport presenter at the time, and in the beginning I kind of was like, should I just let them carry on believing it was Hendrine? And then I was like, no, I have to own it. So I phoned into Gilman's show, um, and I was like, well, it's me. But yeah, it is what it is, and career this day and age with social media, et cetera, et cetera, your career would be pretty much, I don't know how you'd wake up in the morning and go out into the street. And at the time it did feel like that, but only those who knew or watched Blitz knew about it. And that's the thing with this industry. You've got to remind yourself because often you can get um, completely abused or you make a mistake. You know, life goes on and there'll be a Twitter storm or an Instagram storm for about a week or two and then it'll blow over.
Shame. And to be fair, it wasn't your fault. No, and, and not the at guy, all. And the guy who made the mistake is a lovely guy. Amazing. Very and, nice guy. And, and, and he told me his version of the story. And he said he had to build up so much courage to get on the phone to phone you the next day. And, and talk us through that conversation. I don't remember it. Does he remember it? He does. He remembers it like yesterday. I'll actually get him on the line just now and, and try and get him to talk him through it. How's it, D? Um, yeah, so the way I remember it was I worked the night shift and I'd gotten home at three in the morning or something silly and gone to sleep. I got woken up at about six from a phone call from a colleague that edited with us and he was like the poo has hit the fan but I fixed what was playing on air but please be aware that I might not have a job soon. The ironic thing is that myself and the producer sat and took out the took out an actual story to fit in the blooper. That was the stupidest thing. Anyway, it was a story about yachting that we dropped so that we could put in Cindy dropping her head to the desk and saying the F word. Um, I was in a little bit of a panic. I didn't really know what to do, but I figured I should probably call Cindy and say sorry. I remember I was driving down William Nickel um, and I phoned her and the words out of her mouth was, wow, uh, like I can't believe you phoned. And I was like, I'm very sorry because there was a jock on 5FM at the time who had uh, watched the story, seen the thing and was ripping her a new one on the morning radio. So yeah, but I figured the best thing was to just say sorry. And thank goodness Cindy and I still talk to each other. Oh, wow. I don't remember saying that at all. I don't, I don't think I... I think I might have said to him, you know, you, you made me look like a, real, like a real moron, you know, and now that's my face kind of on the product. Um, but he's such a nice guy, so you could kind of understand it wasn't malicious or anything like that. I probably was a real cow to him on the phone. I could imagine me being like all in my depressive state, <laughs> thinking how my life will go on. <laughs> but yeah. And um, the management were kind of like, okay, well, you know, because I think that's another thing that comes with, I would have been in my early 20s then. And then that's another thing that comes with maturity is management would have gone, don't worry about it. And you're kind of going, no guys, this is like very important. And they kind of just blow, you know, not blow it over, but talk you down. Because they know at the end of the day, in a week, two weeks, three weeks, you're going to be laughing about it. And now I really do laugh about it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, Sam, uh, apart from Cindy, uh, your idols? Oh, my idols, sure. Um, Feral Hefferge in our country. I, I would, yeah, just an, the news women in our country are phenomenal to me because I know that they have kids. And now that I've become a mom, I know what it takes uh, to be there. So, Cindy, I look at women like you and I'm just like, sure, 4.30 starts in the morning. I know what that takes. I know the sacrifices. So, I do look at a lot of women in our media. Um, who am I thinking of now? She wrote, she worked for for you guys. Uh, Katie Catapodis. <laughs> we all know. When, yeah, man. I, she, was, she was really one of my idols at Varsity. I read her book and I just thought, well, when I have kids... I need to literally take a page out of this book. So I love that we have such strong women in media and that's who I look up to, to be honest. Yeah, I must say, it's very cool. Um, 
from a personal point of view to to hear a lot of the names mentioned coming from Prime Media because Prime Media has been a, a massive hotbed for for talent uh, over the years. <laughs> Not because I was there, but because of the names that you mentioned. And and Cindy, I mean, I think back now. I mean, I can't believe that. And I brought it up earlier, but we had two separate presenters for 702 and Highfelt because, I mean, we know that they're right next to each other. So since the last almost a decade now, we've always had the same presenter doing both stations. And it was so amazing working with you. And do you remember what we used to do to each other's desks? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this was when we did separate in the morning. So you did morning and I was in the afternoon. Do you know this story, Sam? So, so I think maybe you started... Uh, you would have started. Probably. He probably would have put something on like the keyboard or the screen or covered something on my it was desk. like food or press stick or, or something. No, no, no. Like it was that. something like press stick so you'd have okay. to like get it off or cut. Because like, we shared cover the desk. The, like cover the, yes, we shared a desk. So cover the telephone in newspaper type vibes okay. or cover the mouse in newspaper type vibes. And the one day, it took me forever. But I literally bedazzled. Now I say bedazzled. Bedazzled, if you don't know, is that stuff that little teenage girls put on on their clothes to make them like sequins, right? Like craft sequins. I literally bedazzled the whole keyboard. Literally every key had a sequins on it. A bright pink and I think white sparkly sequins. And I did his whole, I did the keyboard, I did the screen, I did the phone. <laughs> I was like, I remember the manager at the time, Benita Levine, saying to me, this is... Um, don't you have anywhere else <laughs> that you need to be? I was like, I need to do this thing. <laughs> and then eventually, and he sent me a message on a photo of the desk, and he said, you win. <laughs> like, you win. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun back then. Oh, it was I forgot cool. about that. <laughs> mm, that was very cool. Cindy, it's been such a pleasure having you. It's been so oh, cool thank you. catching up. Thank you. Good luck editing my nine-hour monologue. <laughs> no, there's no editing at all. Uh, we're just slotting. Yeah, there's no editing whatsoever. Um, and, and if there is going to be editing, uh, Sam, you're in charge. Oh, shit. <laughs> but yeah, it's been so great. Thank you, guys. Uh, International Women's Day, 8th of March, which coincides with the final of uh, the Women's T20 World Cup. We really, really hope the Protos will be there. They will. I really, the the rain forecast is so thick for Sydney. And I don't want to say that they'll be there based on rain. I think they will be there based on, it's going to be hard to beat Australia. It's actually all just going to come down to, to the mental game. And if they have it in them to actually go, hang on, we can do this. Because to play the defending champions in the back of your mind, the defending champions, the defending champions, must be very difficult. So... Also, Cricket Australia did ask for, an, for a reserve day. They, they uh, I think, wrote to the ICC or whatever, and that was declined. So the chances of us making the final are really, really huge. And whew, I really, really hope we do beat Australia. Yeah, so do I. Finally, uh, just in terms of your social media accounts, if uh, people, the two out there that follow MotoGP and don't know who you are, um, yeah, how do they get hold of you? The two other that I don't know that two who follow me, if you know, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, it's uh, on Instagram. It's at Cindy underscore Paluta, P-O-L-U-T-A, and then on Twitter, it's just at Cindy Paluta. Okay, excellent. And Sam, your side. Oh, they can find me on uh, the Great e- the Great Equalizer podcast at the Great Equalizer podcast um, on Instagram and at TG underscore podcast on Twitter. Um, also on Facebook. Couple of uh, podcasts in the future, she'll be featuring on the Great Equalizer. Oh, I'd be honored. I'd really be honored. <laughs> you can phone me, I'll come. <laughs> Cindy Polita, it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll be rooting for you and best of luck uh, for the rest of your very, very impressive career. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you so much for having me, really.
Thank you to Cindy. And a massive thank you to The Grind here at Melrose Arch. You are always our hosts whenever we are in Johannesburg. They are phenomenal. Uh, great coffee, uh, a lot of water uh, that was drank throughout the show. Uh, and yeah, if you are ever in the area and you want a great cup of coffee, make sure to get here. But uh, a big thank you to Brian and the guys here from The Grind. Um, always a magnificent place. Uh, we'll be back next time on Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Thanks as always for joining us. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Raider Media.